three hobos <laughs> walking down the train tracks late one early October night. Tracks stretch onward through the woods and the light is starting to dim. It's that golden hour, but late in the hour. And the shadows of the woods are closing in. And those trees have lost some leaves and the greens of summer have slowly transitioned into the reds and golds of autumn. And some of those limbs are bare. They look skeletal, like hands gesturing to either side of the the tracks. And we walk on, getting darker, boys. How far should we go before we uh, set up camp for the night? I've got some beans that are calling our names, so I don't think we should wait too long. I've got a can opener and a couple a couple bottles of suds. Nice. I was afraid we have to use a rock. Get us a little little fire going here. Warm ourselves up. It's like I can hear the flames crackling now. I think I hear a pokey in the distance. We better better nestle up here on the, the backside of this hill. Going. Did you boys hear that? Sure did. It sounded like a a train! There's not been trains on these tracks in years. You boys know about ghost trains? I've heard tell or two. Let's open up them beans and have a beer or two and talk about it. Sounds like a mighty fine plan. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. You've joined the Chromcast, and it is Chromtober once again. I'm Luke. I'm Jonathan. I'm Josh. And... It is 2022, and we're talking about haunted trains, haunted railroad tracks, all things ghosty of the rails. Right, guys? That's right. That's right. I was hoping you were going to go 2022, trains go (laughs) (laughs) choo-choo. I like that. (laughs) Trains go boo. In this case. In this case. So, uh, what are we talking about for this this recording? We're we're planning currently two Cromtober recordings for 2022 this first one what are we getting into we're gonna dive into a twilight zone episode one of josh's favorites one of the faves what's it called uh a, is it a stop at willoughby i think that's right yeah. i think it's a stop at willoughby yeah, yeah. but the guy the, the conductor or whoever is keeps saying next stop willoughby yeah. yeah um one of my faves and then we're going to talk about ghost trains in general some train folklore train folklore spooky train stuff yeah you might say we're laying the tracks for a subsequent discussion. That's right. How That's many idea. train puns can we get? <laughs> Dude, we're going to stack them up. It's uh, a, a railroad full of just uh, jokes and jokes and jokes and jokes. Not to derail us too much, but we have a mythical Chromcast Word document where we dumped ideas probably six years ago and or, or, or longer. And under the subheading Chromtober... One of the, the bullets said, ghost trains, question mark. <laughs> and this year, for whatever reason, that bullet point, <laughs> those two words, Focus. and that punctuation were, were just enough to fuel our imaginations. Yeah, I think there's enough meat on these bones for us to, to get into a good, a good little, little mini season, as we do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to... 
there's a lot to unpack here tonight. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. I think I tossed that one in last year around prompt overtime after okay. listening to the blurry photos, ghost trains oh. or ghost railroads episode. Uh, it seemed like something that was fruitful for us. I think we were also right around the time of the Manly John or Manly Wade Wellman. Manly story. Wade Wellman, yeah. Manly yep. John, uh, <laughs> yep. Where there was a, a ghost train, right? That's yep. right. So we've kind of we've kind of uh, got into a little bit of the ghost train yeah. stuff with him for sure. Yeah. Got the coal dust on us. Yeah, it captures the feels, man. This this might be a little bit Manly Wade Wellman tinged with the there we go. the spooky stories that we're going to be telling. And talking about here for this episode at least uh it'll be cool once we get into the next episode with the, the couple stories that we're going to read but we're going to save that for now we're going to talk about uh last stop at willoughby or uh, a stop at willoughby as it's called and sort of spooky trains in general so uh before we get into that what are you guys drinking water I'm a Sam Adams. You want a Sam Adams? No, I'm Oktoberfest. I appreciate it. I can't. They're going to go away. And <laughs> That's then, true. And then later. I've got some saved up. Do you remember that time I gave you guys Oktoberfests in a March? That's right. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. <clears throat> well, you the change season. your mind. I squirreled away. <laughs> change your mind. Thank you. Right here, Luke, you want one? Uh, sure, I'll take one, dude. Let's pass that around. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, I don't have an opener. Uh, I've got my. I got a pocket knife over here. Uh, nice. Uh, yeah, I'm actually on the PBR train myself. Uh, I had a 15-pack of Founders uh, Oktoberfest, and they're pretty awesome. Mm. If you guys get a chance, the 15-packs that you can get from Founders, they have one of the coolest-looking cans that I've ever seen, and uh, they're pretty damn tasty. But I drank the last one like right before you guys got here, <laughs> so I'm down to well, I'm down least, to PBRs. At least too. you drank it before we got here. So anyway, so that's what we're that's what we're drinking though. I so, heard the blue stallion ones on the loose too. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm thinking there might be a little uh, mini keg of that in order for myself here at some point. There we go. Over the next couple of weeks. But now we could talk about something else if you guys want to. Yeah, man. Just one thing. Let's hop into a one thing. Who wants to lead us off? I will, sure. Um, so Ashley and I have been uh, eagerly watching uh, two fantasy shows right now. Rings of Power on Amazon, the most expensive TV show ever produced. Is that right? Uh, evidently, the first episode was. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the whole the whole show. I mean, it must oh, be. Right? right. Well, I, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be. Maybe. Um but the, I think the first episode was the most expensive single episode of television ever produced. Hmm. Um, and it shows. It looks really good. Okay. Yeah, it looks good. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm a, I'm a Tolkien fan. Um, I am aware enough that to know that there's going to be some changes sure. to the, the uh, chronology, some changes to the canon. And I'm okay with it. Um, it's fine. Um, and they're, they've put together a fun fantasy show. I like it. I know a lot of people don't. Uh, I'm sorry if you don't like it and you really wanted to. Uh, I do like it, and uh, I'm not encumbered by you know my uh, wistfulness for like a straight up Silmarillion adaptation. It's kind of okay. Um, So that is fun, and then I'm also watching uh, House of the Dragon. Oh, okay. Uh, Ashley and I call it either Dragon House. Or Casa de los Dragones. Oh, <laughs> do you know what we call it? What 
maybe this is a thing. Other people call it hot D. <laughs> so hot D. Apparently, that's what H O T D. J R or J R George R R Martin is a uh, unironically refers to it as hot D. Uh, as hot D. <laughs> like that's it. He just abbreviates it all the time. So yeah. So we've been watching the hot D as well. Right. Nice. I uh, I like to refer to it in. Uh, uh, the Spanish vernacular because I want it to be a telenovela. <laughs> um, yeah. Starring real dragons. Starring real dragons. It's fun. I like it. I like that. Uh, I don't know if this is spoilery, spoilery or not, but there are pretty big time jumps mm-hmm. in the show okay. um, from episode to episode. And I like that. It's, it feels like it's moving at a clip rather than sort of dragging through, uh, you know, a slow moving plot. I like it. Yeah, I would agree. Do you have like a verdict it on it so far? Yeah, I think it's cool. I like it a lot. I like I like some of it more than I like other bits of it, mm-hmm. but all in all, it's fun. Uh, yeah, I guess my main gripe is I think the dragons look more snaky in the in the this ancestral uh, Targaryen kind of status. I want my dragons to be more T Rexy with big heads. Yeah, and these dragons are more long necked narrow-headed dragons seemingly mm-hmm. and i want more more ferocity yeah um they don't really look super reminiscent of um uh khaleesi's dragons right yeah no uh, they don't they but, they look they look a bit different but we don't know where she got her dragonettes really do we yeah um, i mean they, they were no, gifts from somebody for her and called Drogo's yep. wedding but we don't know exactly where they came from. Yeah. The provenance of those, uh, those eggs. Costco. Yeah. Costco? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Costco Kirkland, eggs. Those are Kirkland <laughs> Which means they've been sourced from a really, a really strong vendor. Right. They're just like, uh, like pasting over the, the, the cellar with, mm-hmm. uh, the, that Kirkland <laughs> signature brand name. Can I ask a clarifying question about sure. the house or not the house of the dragons? <clears throat> the rings of power. Rings of power. Okay. Rings of power. Is Neil Gaiman involved with that? I don't know. So yeah, I see. I keep seeing people yelling at him online about it, but when I tried to look, it doesn't seem like he's associated with it in any way, shape, or form. I think he's just a big Tolkien fan. Okay, so people just assume that he's got his fingerprints on this. I, I have also so I follow him on Tumblr, uh-huh. and I've also seen him address people who have been like, you know, what what do you think that J.R.R. would think about this? Like, yeah. what do you think, big boy? Like, uh, I don't know. He seems he seems to like it. Sure. Whatever. He's the perfect Tumblr celebrity. I have not watched Sandman yet. Have you guys? No. I have not. Yeah. I've held off on it. It's, uh, it's on my list, but it's not high on the list. So, um, But anyway, two fantasy shows. We we live in a uh, an age undreamed of uh, <laughs> where there's pretty decent fantasy shows on TV that are not like Xena or you know Hercules, Hercules. The Legend Continues. So I'm pretty psyched about it. Yeah. How about you, John? I've been listening to a podcast called Le Monstra. Have either of you heard it advertised? Le Monstra. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. It's about a Belgian serial killer. I'm not usually into... Or not serial killer. I guess a Belgian uh, pedophile. No. Uh, and maybe sort of serial killer. He uh, sounds like he was a pretty gnarly dude. The commercials, the, the reason I got hooked, I'm not usually a big true crime fan, but... Uh, they talk about uh, how his case apparently brings down the Belgian version of the S- FBI. Hmm. Um, people sort of riot against the government because of the handling of it. And that was kind of what got me interested. And yeah, so far it sounds like 
the Belgian authorities were really inept, that they had dirt on this guy. They had people telling him that he was the one that had kidnapped these four girls and they didn't act on it very quickly or at all in some cases. And so he got away, he murdered two girls and then they've rescued two others from his dungeon. He had a literal dungeon in multiple properties. Like he had these places he owned. Uh, It's not super voyeuristic. Like I feel like a lot of true crime is. So um, if you're also sort of tepid on true crime, because it seems like you're getting your goose off on people's suffering and crimes that have been committed. Right. This one I feel like is a little more respectful thus far, at least. (coughs) And the dude that hosts it has a really intense voice. So it kind of helps. La Monstra. La Monstra. Is it like uh, an ongoing thing or is it something that's been over? In the early 90s. Okay. That was my question too. I I mean the podcast. Like is it still? uh, Yeah, actually I think he's got six episodes out. Uh, It's a Tinder Heart TV, Tenderfoot TV and iHeart Radio joint production. Apparently, okay. Which was another thing that kind of gave me pause. I don't yeah, necessarily... so it's like a, a super, a super produced like, yeah. radio podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But this is a Texan that moved to Belgium in the 90s for some reason. And I guess that like this was happening as he transitioned from America to Belgium. He got to live through all this. So it's kind of stuck with him. Hmm. How about you round us out there, Luke? So, uh, I guess my one thing will be books in general, but I got a specific publisher and a specific book that I will mention that I'll mention. Uh, so I've picked up a couple Charles L. Grant Oxrun station books over the past couple weeks for cheap seas on the A books, which is cool. Cause he's a quiet horror, early eighties kind of paperback paperback guy. Uh, did a lot of anthologies and whatnot. So that's, I've been reading a little bit of uh, uh, some of his stuff. But the thing that I'm super stoked about that I was able to order is uh, Valancourt Books is re-releasing Carl Edward Wagner's In a Lonely Place. Nice. Uh, which is <clears throat> one of Wagner's couple horror collections. Mm-hmm. And it was announced as of this recording, just a short time ago, about a week, week and a half ago. And I jumped on it <laughs> within hours and, and, and ordered that. So I'm super stoked because those, uh, Carl Edward Wagner horror anthologies, or I shouldn't say anthologies collections are the things that are really hard to get. Mm-hmm. You can find some cane books for 10 to 20 bucks a pop. You can find year's best horrors for, same range like that, but uh, finding why not you and I are in a lonely place for anything less than a fifty dollar mark for a really trashed up paperback is next to impossible in this day and age. And most of the time, they're running way more expensive than that. And I missed the boat a few years ago on trying to snag those. So anyway, it's out. Uh, you can pre-order it now. Uh, the nice little email that I got from the publisher said. Uh, book is supposed to ship in December slash January, but we're expecting that web orders will ship in November slash December. So okay. maybe before Christmas, I'll have a sweet little uh, Carl Edward Wagner hardback of In a Lonely Place. Cool, I I'm think get one. I think it uh I think it runs like thirty bucks for the hardback plus so plus shipping is like thirty five bucks here in the states. You can get it as a paperback maybe for twenty bucks. Uh, and hell yeah, Valencourt Books they they do. Uh, they do the devil's work. They they do everything right, and they're putting out all kinds of good stuff. 
Uh, they also just have been uh, uh, trying to hype up the, the, the Instagram or the social media train with some Manly Wade Wellman joints. Uh, they're going to seemingly be publishing, uh, republishing the, the John the Balladeer short story collection, uh, which is pretty badass. There's no pre-orders or anything for that yet, but it was announced just a few days ago. And likewise, super stoked for that because mm-hmm. I've been able to get some of the, 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 the lesser uh, John the Balladeer novels, but those collections are hard to come by. So mm-hmm. anyway, if you're, if you're on the hunt for some John the Balladeer, some Silver John stories, you can get them for 20 or 30 bucks probably over the winter, which is pretty damn sweet. And uh, you can get some Carl Edward Wagner horror. So that's cool. That is cool. Both of those things are really cool. Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, Valancourt, they've done all this. So they did uh, that paperbacks from Hell series mm-hmm. uh, that's been re releasing some of those cool paperbacks, you know, since that since that book came out. Uh, they've been putting those out. Uh, man, they just put out all kinds of great stuff. It's super cool. Uh, so I'm excited. They have some bundles that cost a, a prettier penny where you get like, I don't know four to eight different paperbacks within a collection, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm tempted to, to pull the, pull the trigger on one of those. I need to think about it though. Can we agree to pretend that our manly Wade Wellman season is what spurred this on that we kickstarted interest in that author? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We can. <laughs> um, every little bit helps, right? That's, that's part of the reason why we started the show. Talk about an author that, that impacted, um, pop culture. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and all the other authors that sort of followed in this giant's footsteps. Pretty cool. Pretty cool also that uh, Wellman and uh, um, Wagner knew each other. Mm-hmm. Pretty neat. Yeah, I think Valancourt's got their pulse on a lot of the, <clears throat> the necessary and desired horror that's out there to be reprinted. So, I'm I'm looking forward to see what they what they announce next yeah. because there's some cool there's some cool stuff. It's harder to get that it would be neat to see it reprinted. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if they would do it, but like Ramsey Campbell's some of his classic uh, short story collections. Those are the kinds of things that aren't necessarily all that hard to get in paperback form, but it would be super sweet to see like. Uh, an anthology, like, to, or, or I keep saying anthology, but to see like a collection of like to see cold print or, or dark companions or one of these like, Ramsey Campbell, Campbell like omnibus come out, that would be super sweet. Uh, but there's a bunch of people like that that are deserving of some re-releases of stuff. Robert Aikman would be a super cool thing that I could see Valancourt doing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did I say the wrong three-part name before? Part name? No, you you nailed it. Okay. Yeah, you nailed. I was like, wait, was yeah. it Carl Edward Wagner? <laughs> yeah. No, you. Yeah, yeah. You said it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Don't be sorry. The the, the three part names are, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of rhyme or cadence to them, right? That's true. Lee Harvey Oswald, Carl <laughs> E. <and> Howard. <laughs> so with that, put them in a pot, stir them all up. Getting cold out, so you better get some of that there chili with some cornbreads well, and yeah. have yourself some. One thing. So that's what, that's what we've been getting into in this autumnal time. 
Uh, also, been thinking about ghost trains. Mm-hmm. Did you guys do any reading about ghost trains? Did some reading about ghost trains. Sure. Have. John, you did more reading about ghost trains. I tried before I came over. I listened to some podcasts as well while I was driving around. I think Luke dipped into one or two of the same ones. It sounds like. Yeah, I went back and listened to the blurry photos episode from last year. Uh, that's that's great. It's it's cool because uh, it's kind of all around the world, right? Yeah. Like like that's the way. Yeah, it starts in India. I think yeah. ends it in North America. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only one that I listened to. Did you oh, listen to some other ones though? Yeah, I tried out the Bone and Sickle. Mm. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one was good, but it was it was a little more uh, dramatic, I guess, in the reading. Like, yeah. So what was the topic for that? Was it Ghost Trains? Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I haven't yeah. listened to that one. I have listened to Bone and Sickle before. Yeah, I like the guy's style. Uh, it's, it was called Ghost Trains and Railway Terrors. I listened to something called Haunted Garage, and they had season one, episode six, Lincoln's Ghost Train. Nice. Uh, we we uh, would not be able to compete with these guys. They were very much like a uh, hot dog and mustard in the morning kind of radio show kind of feel. Okay. Uh, and they're all about actual, the reason it's called Haunted Garage is because they're about cars and car culture. Oh, God. And they were doing... The train stuff. And so they were like talking about Lincoln's train in a very technical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to Listen with the Lights On about Albany's Ghost Train and the Unrest podcast Ghost Trains. Wow. You went on a little. I've been on the road a lot. A little, so. little podcast fiasco, though. That's awesome, yeah, man. Yeah. Was there another in this? Oh, yeah. Railway Ghost for Bory for Plato. So, was there much overlap between all those shows that you mentioned, or were they hitting on different topics? Uh, it was interesting. Some of there was some overlap. A lot about Lincoln's Ghost Train, um, and a lot of them were about what I think we'll probably talk about uh, through the course of our discussion, but just about like railway, railway calamities, uh, and then the resulting haunts and haints and specters that come out of that. So, some of them talked about sort of wildly disparate ghost wrecks. One of them was in an avalanche um, up in Washington State. And then others involved, like, trains just meeting head-on and killing everybody involved. Right. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of the terror comes from the fact that it's however many thousand tons of steel barreling down at you with all the force of stuff that God didn't intend, and it'll crush you and kill you if it gets the chance. What do you think the the commonality between ghost ships and ghost trains might be like, like think the flying Dutchman. Right. Right. Um, can I contrast rather than compare either? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I feel like with the ships, it's more about getting lost at sea. Like it's about, there's a lot out there and we, we sail out into it into this big blue and, Maybe we're going to get lost and then never be seen again. Mm-hmm. The trains seem more about like mechanized, human-made horror and delivering souls to hell. Those seem, seem to be the two main things that popped up with a lot of the train stuff I listened to, at least. Okay. I don't know a lot of ships that are supposed to deliver you to hell. It I, seems more like a purgatory type thing. Like you're yeah. stuck at sea forever. Yeah. There's, well, like... Davy Jones's locker right is the right. bottom of the sea, and that's true. If your ship sinks, that's where it's going to take you. Good point. But I don't. I think that that is just kind of a circumstance or a consequence of it, and it's not what the ghost ship is doing, right? Yeah. The, the ghost train is 
taking its its passengers to a a place maybe beyond the veil, or it's reenacting some tragedy that happened right. to a, a group of souls or something like that. I think there's also something to be said in the ocean. You're on a path usually, but you can get diverted on a train. It's very set, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to go where it's going. Yeah. And if, if you don't, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, just wondering. Uh, what about I you, was, Luke? No, I agree. I think there's a bit of the 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 lost versus the inevitable. Like that's kind of the con- the contrast of uh, ships being lost souls, whereas there's the 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 contrast with these ghost tales in a railroad setting. It's it's a train doomed to continue down the same line towards the same inevitable fate, or it's, it's capturing some sort of like anguish that's been experienced and it's kind of replaying it again and again and again. Uh, and I think that makes it sadder. I, I don't, actually, I don't know. I mean, both are sad in their own way. Right. Uh, but I do think that the idea of uh, a spectral, or damned ghost train is a is a very tragic literary device. Mm-hmm. That was something that I thought a lot about listening to some of these folk tales and legends on those podcasts I mentioned. Uh, the idea that on your the anniversary of your death, your like spirit is dredged up and forced to go through the process again. That says some things about the afterlife that I find kind of dark and twisted. Yeah, yeah, I don't really like that idea very much. It's not very comforting. Um, so I like what you're saying. You're kind of tethered in time to the worst thing that ever happened to you or potentially this punishment that you've been given. Yeah, it's, it is an inevitability, like the, the, the story that's playing out and maybe we'll, we'll get into this with our twilight zone episode that we'll talk about and the things that we talk about next episode. But that, I think that's the, like, that's an overriding theme maybe for this little uh, duo of or vignette of, of Cromtobery episodes mm-hmm. is, is like this inevitable kind of horror as a, as a thing. So since, since you brought it up, maybe we can kind of transition into talking about the Twilight Zone episode, A Stop at Willoughby. And maybe that'll open up new terrifying vistas <laughs> to uh, sink our teeth into. So, what is this episode about? Uh, nostalgia, in yeah. a word, maybe. Uh, want a, a discontent. Yeah. Uh, man who admittedly describes himself as not young, but becoming old. It's kind of a I wouldn't say it falls into the midlife crisis that we think about now, because I think at some point, maybe it's stated that he's 38, uh, or maybe I'd read that somewhere in some ancillary materials. But he's he's basically a 40-year-old man who has been unhappy for some time, but this story is about the, like, supreme season of his, like, discontent with his life and how, what it all means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he takes a long train ride <clears throat> home from work. He's got a long commute in the morning. He's got all this time to think 
and sort of go over all of these uh, discontent uh, thoughts and and wants and desires, right? So he's, there's, this is an inevitable too, right? Like you're in the morning if you want to keep uh, your your uh, quality of life, you've got to go to work, and that train represents that. Mm-hmm. What, what what about his personal life? Well, it's a shuttle to Hades, the opposite direction as well, where he goes home to an unloving home where he's sort of roundly criticized for not being the perfect husband and perfect go-getter dude uh, and doesn't doesn't feel fulfilled there either. I think they love each other, though. <clears throat> like, the, the way that that... There's the quieter moments where... Gart, right? That's his name. Mm-hmm. Whenever Gart comes home after his first day in the office and he's talking with his wife and I'm forgetting her name and he's pouring a drink and she's like, what are you just going to stay home and get soused? And then she pours an even bigger drink. Like she pours like four fingers in a glass with no mixer. And he, he, he has like a little bit of seltzer on top. Uh, but she just goes straight for the, for the handle and, and pours it in. And they have this kind of conversation and it is uh, pokey. It's prickly. That's the better word. It's not pokey. It's prickly. They have this very prickly exchange, and it's very uh, to the point. But just the way that it's enacted, the way that she sort of sits down like low on the on the stairs, and they're talking back and forth. She loves him, and she wants to love him, and. She's just like, she's all out of steam. That's I don't mean to make like like (laughs) silly like coming naturally (laughs) like these train jokes. But yeah, she she has just ran out of effort on her her part. But she comes across as someone that is very much uh, like looking over at what the Joneses next door are doing and trying to trying to set her sights and keep keep stride with with the neighbors. Right, Mm -hmm. she's trying to keep up. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's difficult because I'm sympathetic to both of them, but Gar is very much supposed to be a, a person that I think that the viewer feels some level of kinship with. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. with her, you also have to think about her being trapped in a different way, right? Right. Like uh, the gender politics of her time yep. mean that she has to watch him sort of waste his opportunity yep. at success or and, if she doesn't get it. And she makes her remark about that too, yeah. along the lines of, you know, or he does about enjoying this house and whatnot. Yeah. She is looking after herself in that regard. Cause she doesn't have the capacity otherwise. Yeah. Do you think he's complacent? Do you think he's just given up? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Because I I do too. I think that he I think that he wants to want more but just is so burned out. Yeah. That he can't. And he doesn't know what to do and where to turn. And I, as somebody who is in his early 40s who has had some dramatic changes to his his career in the in the last little bit like i i feel that sure um i i feel that i haven't completely you know 
gotten on the train to, to Willoughby right. <laughs> yet, right. but um, I, I definitely feel it. And I, I think it, I think it makes him relatable to anyone who is in a job that they're not completely happy with, whether you're whether you're a guy or a, a lady. Um. But yes, I think that she is trapped just as you said, John. Like she's she's uh it would be much harder for her to work in Gart's world than it would be for Gart. And that makes her even more frustrated. Right. <clears throat> if I'd only been born a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if they could <laughs> if if she could wear the pants and he could wear the dress, think of where they would go. Right? right. Like that's the state that I think is a really interesting narrative ploy that the episode has and makes it even all the better. Because this is really a spectacular episode. Uh, And that's one of the things. Like, every major sort of, like, interaction with between those two really motivates the plot. And I think we can think about how things would be with her in the driver's seat and very much see the opposite story. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder though, how, how Serling would have written if, if, if we had been able to, uh, you know, time travel and get into Rod Serling's ear and go, okay, we've seen this episode. We know what you think, but what if you let, you do let her write a draft of her getting a job at the same firm? What happens then? Does he still go to Willoughby? Mad Men. No, that's it. That's I was about to say that. Like it, it would be Don Draper. Like yeah, mid midway through the the series. Uh, yeah, I'm I I don't I'm not spoiling anything here to say, but a conversation that Don has with Peggy, and he's like, "You can be anything you want. Just." If you will it, <laughs> just do it. It's 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 you can, you can change, uh, and I think that the Don Draper of that point in the series is a bit of the the side of the coin that we're talking about here mm-hmm. within uh, the Willoughby episode. So, what is Willoughby in this episode? Idyllic eighteen eighty eight America, playing the the hoopy game. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Freezing their ice cream, somehow, somehow, yeah, yeah. Maybe using a <laughs> rock salt, rock in a salt, coffee yeah. can. Yeah. Everybody just seems slower paced, and a, a man can live life to his, his fullest measure. I think is what they say. Mm-hmm. So, what would he be doing? And will like what would he do? Like, how does Willoughby contrast with where he is in uh, quote unquote the real world? Probably wouldn't rule as a time lord, right? Well, probably not. Not use his 1960s knowledge over them. Yeah, he's not going to bring the Grave Sports Almanac back with him. I think I think that's an interesting question. What would you think he would do, Josh? Like, how would he manage there? I can't. I can't help but think that you know how the grass is always greener, right? Right. Like, it seems nice to live in a utopia or or a, uh, not even a utopia, like a paradise seeming place but how long until that becomes a trap for this guy like he just seems to me like no matter what he's gonna be he can't be satisfied Mm -hmm. 
Well, and even beyond that, I would argue that it's a man who feels complicated by the atomic age and he wants to escape to his childhood era where they'd have to worry about Khrushchev dropping the bomb on him and the Cuban Missile Crisis and communism and are they going to vote for Ike or who else or whatever. And if you go back to those people, I'm sure that they would be like, man, I wish I could go back to 1845. (laughs) Just like a lot of people now want to go back to when Gart's trying to escape from. They want to live in that year. The 50s, right? Yeah, the 50s and 60s is, is the idyllic time to them because we're all chasing our childhood highs and you can't have it. <laughs> Arguably, the 1980s have become that romanticized yeah, yeah. era, right? Thanks, Stranger Things. Yeah, but, I mean, even even in other media, it seems like, you know, the 1980s pop properties keep popping back up. Like how many Ghostbusters movies have there been in the last five years? Right. How many synthy soundtracks mm-hmm. how many Kate Bush songs have to become big it's, <laughs> it's more it's more than just stranger things right like yeah. it's that yeah uh, Willoughby is to me uh, uh, like oh I'm, I'm floundering over how to describe it now it's idyllic but it's unrealistic and ultimately it's a form of hell uh, this fellow is looking for an easy, easy breezy existence, but to steal the words of like his boss, like a world with no push, push, push is ultimately going to be the other extreme that lacks any sort of meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think it's intentional that, like, what there's like Yankee Doodle Dandy playing at one point. Uh, there's another song that's playing, like <laughs> a very uh, of a time, idealistic, idealistic music. You know the 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 point where Gart says, you know, I think I'll go fishing. I might just join you tomorrow. And there's there's more enough to go around, Mister. You know, like he's gonna be. Tom Finn or, or like Huck Finn or Tom Sawyer or whatever is what the wife says. Something like that along the lines. Uh, it's not, it's not real. Right? What he slipped into is an illusion. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it's super powerful on that front. I like that idea that Willoughby is an illusion in his head that the only way that he can escape to it and out of his current predicament is to give up his earthly attachments, right? Like he, he has to die. And in so choosing that he chooses this thing, this existence that is not real. Like he, he chooses not to exist whatsoever. That's how, that's how I read it. Yeah. I I read it as a trap, like almost a demonic trap, right? Like you're, he kills himself to get to this place. He doesn't know he's killing himself, but, it's a honeypot that he falls into. Yeah. I, I like you use the term like leaves his material. Like he intentionally leaves his briefcase, right? Yeah. Like like that's the that's the symbol of like I'm no more a businessman. Mm-hmm. I'm simpler. Right. And like that Spider Man cover. And now he's just dead. Yeah. Right. Like that's <laughs> that's the way that I take that's what I take from from the story is and now you're just dead. 
and everything you thought would be this idyllic existence is the opposite. Like, you're gone. Yeah. Because uh, we, we see that little snapshot, but who's to say that that's, you know, that's that's the real, right? Like, he's in the Twilight Zone. Who yeah, knows? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think he's, like, crossed over to some other dimension. I don't think that he's really entered paradise. Yeah, he I, didn't go to heaven. He didn't go to hell. I don't. I don't interpret. I, I did say it was a little bit of a hell, but to me, like I don't think it's necessarily hell. Though there is multiple remarks that it's sure hot and it's like June or July here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hot all the time, Mister. <laughs> uh, <laughs> freezing my balls off. Yeah, I really take it to be that he his subconscious has conjured this place that he chooses to mm-hmm. go to and in order to do it yeah he, he kills himself now he doesn't necessarily do anything that we are aware of to to do that right like it's not like he has slid his wrist on the train no he just he's not waking up he's, he's dead he's given up so let me ask you guys a question though so why does he keep grabbing his side uh is it ulcers? Is he having probably ulcers? Ulcers? Is he having a heart attack or something? Like, is is it cardiac arrest because he's dying because he wants to go to mm-hmm. wants to stay in? Uh, That's an interesting kind of unresolved movie. feature. It's intentional the way that they call back to it multiple times, and yeah. you can interpret it as uh, that he's like so worked up that he's just like his stomach's raw and he's got ulcers and he's just like worrying himself sick he can't even talk on two different phones at, like two different phones at once i can't handle this or is it more i don't know like i had watched this a long time ago and then i rewatched it just last night and i blasted through it again today uh just to to kind of see it again to kind of scrutinize some of the, the the scenes and i had forgotten about that like I had forgotten about the sh- the, sh- the shrew wife. I don't know if that's the right word. The very shrewd, rough customer, like pragmatic wife, and I'd forgotten about him, like holding on to his side at a mm-hmm. couple of different decisive moments. And I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I guess it's just another one of those like physical, real world mm-hmm. things that is dragging him down. But there's probably more to it. I wish that I could remember Serling's ending monologue because yeah. that's, that's the part that always gives me the, the, chill, the goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And I seem to remember it being like, you know, um, he made a decision to get off the train. He made a decision to get off and make a last stop at Willoughby. And he, in my mind, Serling is saying, yeah, he, he gave up living because Dying was preferable. Oh, you had it. Okay. Well, it's on the, the number here. Maybe it's wishful thinking nestled in a hidden part of a man's mind. Or maybe it's the last stop in the vast design of things. Or perhaps for a man like Mr. Gart Williams, who climbed on a world that went by too fast. It's a place around the bend where he could jump off. Willoughby, whatever it is, it comes with sunlight and serenity and is a part of the Twilight Zone. That's a good Rod Serling, dude. I don't... I don't know. 
I mean, I it's gotta not, work on it. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. Yeah. Maybe sand the edges off. Okay. But, yeah, <laughs> roughing them up. You need a couple packs. <laughs> I, yeah, you need to smoke <laughs> and get Apparently, there is a Willoughby, Ohio that celebrates a festival every year. Really? Uh, called Last Stop Willoughby. <laughs> Annual they, neighborhood festival, Last Stop Willoughby, in honor of the episode. Have they watched the show? I don't know if they've done that. <laughs> uh, it's also Rod Serling's favorite episode, I think, is what I'd read. Really? Yep. Man. I saw that, yeah. He said at least of the first season. I think it was a oh, Cited as his favorite from the first yeah, season. The first. Right. Okay. Also, for a first season episode, kind of a banger, right? Well, there's yeah. a lot of first season Twilight Zones yeah. that are like showstoppers. For sure. Yeah. Um, we were almost a Twilight Zone podcast, weren't we? Uh, there for a bit. I, I thought about... <laughs> Yeah, if if the if if the Robert E. Howard thing didn't capture your guys' imaginations, what about what about Serling? I like to think that's a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, where we're not the pot, the Chromecast, right. we're the Serling cast. Right. Serling cigarette. Cast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What you what you smoking? <laughs> Just Nailed. burning through podcasters. Yeah. Um. So any final thoughts about Willoughby? And I guess the question is, how does this tie into ghostly trains? Because the train itself symbolizes something, I think. I think without the train, he can't get to Willoughby. Yeah, I think the train and the power of, like, this being a thing that happens on the train, like, that is what is... Uh, creating him towards that inevitable death. I think that's where the the clever use of the like the the mode of transport plays in. Like the train itself is indicative of his day to day. It's his commute. It's his to and fro with like his material existence, and it is also a symbol of like the thing that is there that is ultimately like taking him towards his doom or his demise or his end point whatever it is because uh, how many times do we get a train sequence three or four like he talks to the conductor multiple times it's it's you know last stop whatever you know, multiple is it times just three? I thought it was four I thought it was but three but... I haven't I never I didn't pay attention um, but it's it's that repeat that repeat and it's a 22 minute episode so yeah. it's you're getting it every six or seven minutes mm-hmm. and it's almost groundhog dayish right with the mm-hmm. way that it's delivered but it is a uh, it's not a Chekhov's gun but it's a uh, establishing of this is the the final act will end with this you know, the, the consequences mm-hmm. of this. He doesn't hang himself in the office. He doesn't go home and, you know, uh, have some sort of final exchange with his wife. It's the train, this com- this commute, this movement from point A to point B that is the, the delivery point to the... the his fate. Yes, the weird and the fate mm-hmm. that he encounters. And yeah. it goes back to the inevitability that you were talking about. Like, I don't think a car would have worked not only because the train connects his time to the time that he's trying to get to in Willoughby. Yeah. It's like the only technology that really. Oh, that's a good point, man. Uh, but it's also, it's predestined, <laughs> right? He, if you're on your train commute, there's stops, just like you're talking about this regimentation of every six minutes, we're going to hear this. And eventually 
without mm-hmm. fail, we're going to arrive at the, the demise of our, of all Gart, which is still a weird name to be. Yeah. You're totally on, though, that, like, the train is also this near-timeless symbol, at least of American culture. Mm. Like, it's something that's been with us since westward expansion and colonial, you know, uh, manifest destiny, uh, movement of Europeans across the, the shore, like, from shore to shore, right? Like, it's, it is a, it is very much a symbol that we can associate with, like, people of any color here in the United States. It has some level of weight to it. And think about the, the Transcontinental Railroad and how monumental that achievement was, connecting both coasts with a, a rail line. Um, unthinkable, you know, just a few decades prior to mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the train also is, and we've talked about this before, a liminal space, right? I've not really used trains in any kind of like long distance travel. Um, but you get on the train and it's much like getting on an airplane, I guess you, you know, you put your headphones in or you, um, you drift off to sleep or you read your book or whatever you're waiting to arrive at your destination. Um, and the travel part in the middle is just, it's hazy, right? You, you don't remember the flight necessarily. Someone asks you, how was your flight? Oh, it was fine. But was it like, Right, you know, it took two hours to fly from Cincinnati to um, DFW for Howard Days. Right, was that two-hour flight fine? I guess. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, it's this place where time thins, and things like landing or getting off the train in Willoughby can happen. I think you're onto something, though, with between the destination and arrive or the the leaving and the arriving where on a train i think it would be even more liminal because you're going to go through tunnels you're like in the air at certain points Mm -hmm. after being on the solid on the ground on a plane you can sometimes just close the windows you're in cincy and then you're in dallas right Mm -hmm. like you don't really have any sense of movement beyond the the going up and the going down Mm -hmm. but on a train i feel like that rhythm is just constantly reminding you of what you're doing and you can't really escape that you're traversing time and geography. Mm. It feels like it would be trippier to me. I don't know. Maybe that's my modern sensibilities colliding with the past. Maybe. And you know, we don't live in a place where public transit, right? Like train, like light rail or even, you know, uh, uh, rail between cities is a thing. Right. Um, so if you commute around New York city on the subway, maybe you've got a different view of things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, and that's very much hardwired into the story, right? Like this story takes place like in New York, New, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, Mm. uh, at least it mentions like Connecticut and Jersey or something, uh, in the episode, but he's a passenger, right? And when you're on a plane, you're a passenger. When you're on a train, you're a passenger. And I think that's the major thing that in the, you know, in the United States, we also have this culture of cars. And so you hop in a car, you're driving, you have your own agency and you are like striking out to some destination and maybe you end up at a 
hotel where a dude's gonna stab you in the shower and wow. you know like that can happen too right like right. The, well, there's that agency the, the of, in like <laughs> there's <laughs> that kind of, Don't worry but, but that's different than uh you get on the train every day you've got this 45 minute quiet time and you might nod off and you're in one place you're in another and you're kind of shifting spaces or shifting the characterization of your life and it is this kind of like transition period it's very it's very dreamlike it's very liminal and as you seems, guys are hitting on yeah and it seems like i don't i listen to weird studies and i listen to podcasts that talk about practice uh, magic practitioners and i don't do any of that but it seems like that would be a perfect opportunity to do some sort of some sort of i don't know to touch some sort of magical uh-huh phenomenon because yep. because everything like space and time are so thin right and people are so hypnotized already yeah yeah but don't get off at willoughby probably should. or get back on the train if you do get back on the train don't right. ever go back yeah i mean otherwise you're there and then and then you're shuffled off the mortal coil and that's it mm-hmm. that's the it's a sad it's a sad ending i don't see I, it i don't see in any way that like uh willoughby is has a happy ending i don't think so like uh, the first time i saw it it it's one of those twilight zones that kind of gave me goosebumps and and i was like wow this I, this guy just wanted to die <laughs> right. Right. that's what this is about um and so yeah no i agree it's it's not a happy story whatsoever it, yeah. whatever victory he achieved in his head is hollow because he's not really going to willoughby yep he's not getting what he wants yeah yeah probably get reincarnated nonetheless as a train driver double down on the misery yeah maybe um i love that episode you like it more than the man howling in the castle no the the howling man yeah the howling man is my favorite yeah i think i like willoughby more you think so i think there's yes i i do the the howling man is cool the howling man feels more like a a myth or a fairy tale or like a uh, like a mignola hellboy story sort Mm -hmm. of um and i don't know of anything else that really reminds me of of Willoughby like it it's kind of has some parallels with Donnie Darko I think maybe Mm -hmm. okay yeah Yeah, I'll buy that uh I'll subscribe to your newsletter (laughs) okay yeah I'll develop that more (laughs) in the coming weeks on my sub stack (laughs) (laughs) I think this one uh, encapsulates more of that meme you see go around about the Twilight Zone all the time now where it's like Rod Serling it says damn did you see that shit because it's just like wow yeah you kind of get walloped with a, a really emotional thing yeah yeah and there are twilight zone episodes that are more emotional than give you a right a scare or a thrill or whatever and that's what howling man is like it's right. it's thrilling to see the transformation at the end and to know that oh what the guy said is actually true um but this one certainly hits a different way yeah Do we want to circle around and kind of talk about where we're going? I think so. Um, let's let's talk about those stories that that we came up with, or at least rattle them off, so that people know what we're going to read for next time. And then maybe let's 
if if you want, if you've got any cool ghost train stories you want to tell us, John. Okay. Uh, you could tell us one. Sure. But we're going to read a story by Fritz Leiber called the the Belson Express. That's right. We're also going to read one by Chuck Dickens. Yeah, Charlotte Dickens. Dickens, the Signal Man. Yep. So I'm excited about that one. Gulfs, of, gulfs of time between the two, uh, but kind of trainy stories and some cool stuff there. Feeding into what John was saying earlier, like bridging those the that gap of time. Nice. The technology is is still ultimately the same. Past me was onto something. Pa- Good job. He's connected. Gold star, past John. <laughs> I'm excited about both those stories. Luke helped pick them out. You seem to know. You kind of were rattling off the ghost. I think it was entirely Luke. Luke. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we we collaboratively came up with a topic and Luke. I just had. I was like ghosty, classic horror stories that are in anthologies. This one and that one, but I think thematically it'll work. Uh, the Signal Man is kind of a Christmas story, is what I keep hearing people say, or that it gets presented at Christmas time a lot. Yeah, and it's it's that Jamesian, Dickensian kind of like British spooky stories around the Christmas time for British kind of thing. Yeah, uh, and then Liber is it's it's different. <laughs> it'll be a different it'll be a different animal. I mean, thematically it'll have some cool things, but it's like mid seventies like urban horror Liber. Uh, so it's cool. It's not like, it's not raw, like Harlan Ellison's, like, uh, what, uh, what's the song? Is it whimper of whip dogs or whatever, whatever that story is. That's a very raw sort of like urban horror story. This one's different. Uh, and it's a, a bit quieter. I don't know. Maybe I said that before, but it's cool. Uh, and there's a handful of like library horror stories that get anthologized, this one and Smoke Ghost pop up a bunch. They're both in the Dark Descent, the the David Hartwell anthology, but I've got them a couple different ways. Uh, and so they were easy pickings, and, uh, or I should say the, the, the Belson Express by Liber was easy pickings. So we're going to do that, but I just was kind of looking for more excuses to read more Liber and talk about it too. So mm-hmm. it kind of fits the bill. <laughs> it works. So look forward to that next time that's what we're going to be reading as we as we go out back into the darkness oh, John I, you heard many ghost sto- ghost train stories I did hear a lot of good well, I guess before I, I start rattling off like do you guys have train spook em ups where you're from or anything no, no not, not really any like um, trains in your family or no no uh, you know there's so you would think Eastern Kentucky would definitely have ghost train yeah. stories, but I don't know of any. Um, and the reason I say that is that the the way in in uh, you know olden olden times, the way that timber was removed from really remote areas, really mountainous areas, was you know they would cut the tree down, they would load it onto a rail car, and that rail car. You know, they would build temporary rails back up into the woods, and then that those rail cars would be loaded with timber, and they would be drawn out with uh, beasts of burden, like mules. Right. Teams of mules would, would lead them out. 
uh, and you you have to. I mean, that's not that's no locomotive, but coal was moved around from place to place, and still is in right. Appalachia uh, via train. That's the train that runs through our town every day, right? Like we're we're talking, we hear coal trains running oh, yeah, through yeah, Lexington yeah, yeah, constantly, yeah, right? Yeah, um, powering industry, man. That's coal right. keeps the lights on. I don't know if you've ever seen that sticker in <laughs> the state. Just a few times. Just um, a few times. <laughs> so, you know, you would think that Kentucky would be rife with with coal train mythos, and it's it's really not, to my knowledge, anyway. Now, down in southeastern Kentucky, somebody from Harlan or Letcher might be able to regale you with some some more ghostly train okay. stories, but I don't know about them. What about our west, there, Luke? Man, I grew up. Uh, with hearing trains my whole my whole life up until I came to Kentucky. Uh, so the town that I grew up in is called Hatfield in western Arkansas. It's about three or four miles from the Oklahoma border. And uh, the town of Hatfield is named after, uh, I believe, a man that died uh, like on the railroad. Okay. Uh, like in the construction of the, the, the town, like right. the, the, the railroad activities there. Uh, so... Highway 71 basically runs north-south from Texarkana all the way up to uh, up to Fayetteville and like through Fort Smith on the way. That's kind of the western line there in uh, in Arkansas, and adjacent to that for much of the way is a uh, is a railroad track. And so where I grew up, uh, it's just a handful of miles from Oklahoma, and you basically have Oklahoma border train tracks and then highway 71 and they're all like those are running north south like each of those things right uh so no matter what I was doing every day that I drove to school and high school I drove across the train tracks every uh time I went out on a Friday or Saturday night crossing the train tracks two or three times you know if I was going over to a friend's house might cross the train tracks again so it was always this thing, and it was just the classic like country road. Uh, maybe there was a couple places where there would be lights, but right. most of the time there was not even a an arm that would swing down. It was just like it was a dangerous thing, right? right. Uh, so yeah, so train tracks were something that I grew up with. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this with our Manly Wade Wellman episode. I can't remember though. Uh, but, like, one of my most powerful uh, memories of being a high schooler was one summer night. I was probably in the 11th grade. I was driving, at least. Maybe I was a senior, so 11th or 12th grade, one of the two. But one summer night, uh, buddies of mine and I were in the county seat uh, of Mina and just decided, for whatever the hell reason that we were going to like walk the train tracks down to Hatfield. So we basically walked along the train tracks for probably by the crow flies, like an eight or nine mile walk in the middle of the night. We didn't, none of us had a flashlight. I was wearing these crappy, they weren't even, they weren't Converse like Chuck Taylors. They looked like Chuck Taylors, but they were like shitty Walmart knockoffs. Wow. Uh, and my feet were wrecked yeah. the next day and we were just walking up and down. Like we were walked on the train tracks the whole way. And it was one of the spookiest, like, most liminal experiences of my life. 
Uh, have we did we talk about this last time? I'm not sure that I remember this. I don't remember so, the story. No. Yeah, uh, it was super crazy. Tony and Ray and Justin and I, and maybe there may have been one or two other guys, but those are the the three guys that I remember. We just we did it for whatever reason. I don't even know if I had a water bottle. Like maybe we had like like a legit like Dasani bottle of water or right. something like that or whatever you had like a Sam's Club right. like Walmart bottle in 1999 or something. Uh, but we did this we did that and it was this weird uh, experience and it was spooky. Uh, did you see a train? Yeah, there was a time where we had to get off the tracks and a train came through. That, like, that train track, it saw lots of activity. I mean, people died. Like, I yeah. have memories of different people that would die on the, the train tracks, too. Because there, there's not good crossings and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I guess the other thing to mention, too, is when I was a little bit younger than that, when I was, like, a younger teen uh, with where I grew up, there was, there was, like, a little train trestle. It was very small. It was over a creek, and it was right near, uh, so where I grew up, there was, uh, the Lions Club was kind of like the locals, the local men's club. There wasn't like, there weren't Masons necessarily in my little town, and there weren't like Eagles. Those were kind of like the county seat, like men's clubs, but we had like a Lions Club, and that's what all the, all the men folks in town would do. And so the Lions Club had this like community space, this park, and it's where we would have like Easter egg hunts and pancake lunches or breakfasts and uh, maybe a catfish lunch or whatever. But there were swing sets, there was a green space, and on the periphery of the field, kind of in this liminal space between like the civilized and the barbaric, there were the train tracks. And if you were a 12 or 13 year old boy, you would like go down by the creek underneath the train tracks and they were right there. And so, you know, a true test of your metal would be be under the train tracks when a train came over, right? Like, like, uh, lost boy style. You weren't hanging from anything, but you were like 10 or 15 feet away from this train right. rattling on above you. And I don't know, like trains have always been for me associated a bit with, with death and some of these crazy, uh, liminal experiences so i don't have any ghost stories about trains but it's always very much been an occult sort of thing in my like west arkansas upbringing which very much was defined again by like the north south highway and train and state like state boundary right like (laughs) it was like those things in that order they were very much like uh oklahoma line train highway 71 right you grew up on the Borderlands. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to, to no, ramble. I that's, know I kind of that's went absolutely off, perfect. Uh, <laughs> I I actually identify a lot with what you're saying. I, when I grew up, there was a train track that ran sort of perpendicular to the road in our my home county. It's called Division Road that divides the county in half. Okay. So you had north and south in our county, and I lived on the south side of it, and my grandpa lived on the north side of it. So we would have to tra- traverse this, and I similarly had this experience where trains and this train track were always presented as like death incarnate where uh-huh. like this was this is a very dangerous place because we had just the dinghy lights that yep. just constantly went there was no arm there was no warning that the train was there and yeah people like front ends of cars and trucks were taken off frequently growing up because you just stop paying attention even though it's a 10 ton metal dragon that's tearing 
antenna right. pass through your community. And I always kind of, my grandpa was always like, we would get to this train track, and I remember like being eight or nine, he'd be like, you stop here, Yep. you wait right. three seconds. Like, it was like, it stuck, it's burned like into my head. Driving etiquette was very much like, yes. this train will kill you. And he always yeah. alluded to like, there was some sort of tragedy with trains in our family, and he knew that somebody in his family had been killed by trains. Uh, my grandma's grandpa, my great-grandpa, he'd lost his leg to a train when he was a boy. Oh, man. So he was a, he grew up in Rhode Island after moving here from Bologna, Italy. And he was playing stickball or something with a pal, and the track switched, and his foot got stuck. Holy moly. And so he just laid down, and the train cut his leg off and soldered it shut because oh. of the heat that's Holy produced. Crap. So he just, from like age eight up, didn't have this leg because of a train. Oh my! And I remember getting told oh. that. And then I actually, when I was doing some genealogy stuff, I found my grandpa's family that had gotten killed. This was published in my hometown newspaper in 1927. Uh, my family's name, they're the Rodericks. Uh, so the Rodericks were residing one mile east of Cicero, Indiana. They were killed instantly and their bodies ground to bits in an accident at the Simmons Crossing one mile east of Tipton. At 4.45 Sunday evening, the accident was witnessed by their daughter. Uh, Holy Later on, uh, in the, it says, The crash tore the cow catcher from the car and automobile. Occupants and all were caught beneath the inner urban train. So even these small communities used to have inner urban trains that would take you between the towns. Probably before uh, stuff like this happened. The crash knocked the motorman from his post and shattered the front window. Uh, bits of bodies, bones, vital organs mixed with clothing and parts of the automobile were strewn for the distance along the track. And the site was one which unnerved those ac- unaccustomed to seeing awful tragedies. Well, I would say. Yeah. Oh, that's in the newspaper? <laughs> that's in the newspaper. Oh, my God. That wins uh, <laughs> morbidity yeah. awards yeah. for 2022. Yeah. Probably yeah. wouldn't see that today. No. But, yeah, I, I had that growing up. But then I also went to Purdue. And right. they're, they're, <laughs> that's all about trains. Right. And so I remember trains also being this sort of like cool thing. Uh, the the mascot at Purdue is literally a train. Like, you weren't always living in fear I, of right. Yeah, when you went to Purdue, they were like lifted up and celebrated. They weren't a monster. Uh, <laughs> it was they're the Boilermakers. It was supposed to be an insult uh, lobbed at our agricultural and mechanical college uh-huh. back in the day. Uh, it's also sort. I don't want to say in memoriam, but. Purdue has a history with train crashes as well. They lost half their football team in 1916 on Halloween. They were driving to play IU, and there was a big train crash, wow. and half the team got killed. But there's no ghost story that spun out of that. I've always, I've always thought that something would have happened with that, where like people in Indy That's surprising. would see. Yeah. I wonder if it was just so. It was pretty horrifying. Yeah, that, it was yeah. pretty horrifying. It sounds like um, somebody has done geospatial stuff they've looked down in indianapolis and they have found the crash site and the old tracks after they got sort of taken out toward it wow yeah. so yeah i had this sort of love-hate relationship with trains growing up so i was intrigued when we were going to do this one uh i don't necessarily have like a great ghost story i have lincoln's ghost train which i thought was pretty cool I it is pretty cool if you guys will think that <laughs> i have a question about the train okay was the train commissioned just for this the train and or at least one of the cars was commissioned specifically for Lincoln to use in his second term. Uh, do you want to guess what the the train this car was called? Um, the Emancipation Express. I wish that would have 
That would have been Chef's kiss. That would be his wrestling finishing. Game. <laughs> That's true. The Emancipation Proclamation. That's yeah. The name of his, yep. his elbows. It was the United States. Oh. Which is a little confusing. <laughs> that is confusing. <laughs> the the engine was not. I think that their uh, the engine was used for other things. But this is a picture. Maybe we can include it. I've seen. I've. In the, yeah. Yeah, it's so creepy. It's a big train covered in black. His portrait's on the front. And uh, the death train went through many communities in the United States. The idea was that they wanted to transport Lincoln from Washington, D.C. all the way to Springfield, Illinois. Uh, the goal was to backtrack through how he got to D.C. when he was president-elect. So they were taking the reverse route. Um, they embalmed him, and he was somebody that helped to introduce legislation that sort of made a embalming, embalming official, and it cut down on illegal embalming practices that were getting used on Union soldiers. So it was sort of a, a point of pride that he was embalmed so that he could make this trip. I haven't heard that before. That's I haven't crazy. Heard that either, yeah. But it didn't really work. Right. I um, didn't know that. <laughs> by the time he's getting to Springfield, I guess he's getting pretty decayed Kinda looking. Right. Yeah. Well, it doesn't sound like he got ripe as much as he just started to look more and more and more like a mummy. Uh, he was turning brown. And, Rictus? Yes. And his yes, his mouth was super glued shut to try and keep it from opening again. Okay. Yeah, there were lots of horrifying pieces. Yeah. Uh, the train passed through 444 communities in seven different states. The major cities that it stopped in were Washington, D.C. Um, then it was Baltimore, Maryland, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, New York City, Albany, New York, Buffalo, New York, Cleveland, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Indianapolis, Michigan City, Indiana, Chicago, and then Springfield. And in these places, he would lay in state for, it seems like, about a day. Um, there's times on Wikipedia, if you want to know about like when he gets there and when they take him off the train and when they load him back on. And then they would travel through these communities so people could come out. There was a pilot train that would go in front and would kind of announce its presence and say, like, the funeral train is behind me. And so everybody would start to line up. And it was this huge event. People would come from miles around to watch Lincoln as he passed by so they could pay their respects. Um, it sounds like it was very unique looking because there were black streamers and there were even people that were on the train and everything. Uh, then he arrived in Springfield. It was one of the largest public funerals in history just with this traveling. And so they tried to cap it off with a really extravagant event. A year later, we start to get some of the first reports of his train becoming a ghost train. Okay. So the, the train is back on the tracks every year on the anniversary of the, the train rolling through these different communities. It will come back through. So you hear originally the pilot train, and then you hear the rumble of this giant steam engine. The various, I guess, uh, track switchers that have shared some of these stories, they report being in their shack, which to me is another, like, that's mm -hmm. like being a lighthouse keeper almost. You sleep next to the railroad so you can switch the tracks. Yep. That seems like an intense job. Uh, so We'll get they, into that next week, next, <laughs> next recording, yeah. So they would hear something and they would say, oh, you know, we don't, we're not expecting anybody. Something weird is going on. And they would go out and they would report that there was a mist that would roll in. And then the pilot train would go by. Then the, tr the train train would come by. It would be covered in black. And in different tellings, it depends on where you're getting it from, Albany or these other places. Um, there's either Union soldiers that surround Lincoln's casket and are kind of guarding him, or there's various skeletons. 
that are sort of at the helm or at the at the engine, I should say, not at the helm. Um, and then kind of around his casket, sometimes they're holding caskets themselves uh, or other sort of army death regalia type stuff, it sounds okay. like. And there's occasionally a band that plays music as it goes by. What song do they play? Uh, death dirges. So okay. not like Grand Army of the Republic or no. anything like that. Not Just like Susa. No, not playing Susa. No, nothing, nothing jubilant. It's not all, a second line. It's yeah. not. It's not a jazz funeral <laughs> at all. No. Nope. It sounds very somber. Oh. And then other times people will report that their train meets the ghost train, and they go through it, and it dissipates. Oh, that's bad mojo. Yeah. There's and then goes behind yeah. them. And all of these different instances, sort of one of the connecting things is that you're, whenever the train passes, the clocks in the area become six minutes late. Uh, that's like a very consistent piece of the story. Why six minutes? I guess that's the amount of time it took. To, oh, for to the like, train to pass through. Yeah, to go through wherever it was going. That makes sense because it would be going slower. Yeah. It would be chugga, 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 yeah. chugga, 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 so chugga, you would, chugga. You would look at your watch afterwards and it would, six minutes would have passed without you knowing it or... Mm. Or you would be six minutes behind. Mm. Uh, here are some descriptions. So some people see a steam train moving slowly away, and with it goes the darkness, the chill, and the clouds that obscure the moon. Others claim they can see inside the train, and a crew of, a, of skeletons is inside. Halfway back in the train is Lincoln's coffin, surrounded by a crew of blue-coated skeletons. This is from Albany, New York. Or the train is simply a blur. It's been reported to be seen between 21st Street and all the way up to Albany over the original path that it took through the New York Central Railroad. Uh, some people, you know, uh, poop heads or whatever you want to call it, uh, party poopers on the internet, well, why don't we see it nowadays? Some people point out that the original paths have been taken out in many cases, so perhaps it can't ride the rails it it. like it's supposed to, and that's why we don't see... I like that. That adds anymore. an extra level of, like, the changing world is mm-hmm. further causing problems for the spirit realm i like that but like i said before i really don't like the idea that president lincoln so tortured in life is now forced every year on the anniversary of what would have you know been pretty traumatic for his family to watch his body get paraded through the country on a steam engine he's forced to relive it surrounded by ghosts of men that he sent to their death somebody's like all right abe (laughs) get in the box well and i mean we're (laughs) we're not talking lincoln ghost stories necessarily but i mean his apparition has been seen at the White House and lots of other places. So mm-hmm. I, I don't like the idea that he's trapped here on this world with us. He, he deserves some R&R, I feel well, like. Maybe he's... Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, First Lady Grace Coolidge, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and President Theodore Roosevelt are all among those who have claimed to have seen Lincoln's ghost in oh, the man. White House. Nice. So, nice. I hope he was given words of encouragement, but... That's Lincoln's ghost train. I think it's it's a fascinating thing. This idea of this like deep national scar, yeah, uh, the trauma that that induced, and then I also think that as much as I see it as a dark thing, it's sort of also a like a I don't what do you, how would you call it? Not nostalgia, but like people wanted to see it so badly. It's a powerful symbol yeah. of victory too. Yeah, yeah, they wanted yeah. to be a part of that moment so uh-huh. badly. So the opportunity that a ghost would come back and be like. Uh-huh. Well, now you can. Now you can. Yeah. Get your cameras ready. Get your cameras <laughs> get get, ready. Take your selfies, kids. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get some orb photos. But maybe we can put a call out for people to turn in ghost stories to us involving that trains would be cool. from their local communities. We'd love that. Maybe they could call us and leave a voicemail about it. They could.
<laughs> was that my cue? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was could, about to do it. They could call 859-429-CROM and tell your ghost train story. Or any ghost story, really. But what we're really looking for is ghost trains. Um, you can email us, thecromcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're at the Chromecast. Um, what else? That's that's it. We're the Chromecast.blogspot.com. That's where you can find a wealth, a plethora, almost a decade of podcast greatness. Chromtober's of Chromtober's past. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be walking this this rail line into the woods, reenacting. What Luke and his friends did back in his foolish high school years. Uh, I've got better shoes on this time. My yeah, new balances yeah. are going to last my a bit better than my uh, my crappy uh, $20 like Walmart shoes at that point <laughs> your, in time. Those your, things. Your Chuck Fakelers. My Chuck Fakelers. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> Man, my feet. Oh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna fare better. And we've uh, we finished up our our can of beans from John and. Mm. The couple bottles of beer, they're gone. So, yeah, we're going to put everything up in our little red and blue kerchiefs that we're going to tie off to a, a couple sticks and sling over our shoulders, and we're going to we're gonna go on down the tracks, right? That's right. Looking for pies on windowsills. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do that. We're going to be wary of uh, the, the lights from any signalmen up ahead, and uh, see you all down the tracks. Down the line. And then a car starts. That's a good point to do. This train don't care no gambler. This train. This train don't care no gamblers. No whiskey drinkers and no wine players. This train care no gamblers. This train. This train is bound for glory. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory. Don't carry nothing but the righteous and the holy. This train bound for glory, this train. This train don't carry no liars, this train. This train don't carry no liars, this train. This train don't count no liars, no pocket pickers and no bar flyers. This train don't care no liars. This train, this train is built for speed, boy. This train, this train is built for speed. Now this train, this train is built for speed. Fastest train you ever did see. Now this train. Built for speed, boy, this train This train is solid, black, boy, this train This train is solid, black, boy, this train This train is solid, black When you go there, you don't come back, boy This train, built for glory, this train This train, you don't pay no transportation on this train this train, you don't pay no transportation on this train. This train, you don't pay no transportation, no Jim Crow and no discrimination on this train. Bound for glory, this train. This train, you don't care whether you're white or black on this train. 
this train Don't care with your white or black on this train This train Don't care with your white or black Everybody's treated just alike on this train Bound for glory of this train This train is bound for glory This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory. Don't carry nothing but the righteous and the holy. This train bound for glory, this train. This train. This train. This train. This train. This train. America, right?